You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open with Teresa. I'm joined here with a guest, Keegan. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Today's topic is Am I Addicted to Social Media? And Keegan, before we dive into the topic, do you want to give everybody just a few sentences about who you are, how you're part of our network? Yes, absolutely. So I became involved with mental health and the digital wellness space uh, in the midst of the pandemic when I found my own mental health start to decline because I was being constantly overstimulated by social media and I was constantly comparing myself, associating my worth with numbers and likes and comments. And I knew that it was not the foundation of a lifestyle that I had envisioned for myself. And so I decided to go on a little experiment. I deleted social media for 60 days and I journaled every day and um, collaborated with a professor of psychology at Elon University. And we wrote a book about the experience together. And I also got involved with the log off movement and did a lot of work there. And I know about Mental Health America because I received their Youth Advocacy Award in mental health. I was able to attend that mental health conference, which was incredible. There were some of the most brilliant minds in in the field of well-being and mental health. And so it was just a really amazing, just from the perspective of a young person to see that. And um, it was sort of my vision board, considering I, I want to pursue a career in mental health. I love it. Let's dive into this topic. Would you identify as someone who was addicted to social media? Absolutely. I was addicted to social media. And the problem was I did not have the self-awareness to understand that because I was so compelled by the social atmosphere of social media. And it was like I couldn't be alone anymore I couldn't give myself the time for self-reflection and creativity and the beauty of boredom because I was Mm. so focused on my phone and what was going on on social media that I had forgotten about the identity within myself. And so if there's one good thing that came out of the pandemic for me, it was the fact that it gave me the self-awareness I needed to understand that I was spending too much time on social media. And so when you ask the question, am I addicted to social media? It can be different for different people, depending on what they are most vulnerable to. For me, it was this sense of the continued use of social media, despite the fact that I was having a negative experience. Mm. It was comforting in a way to know that, number one, I would never be alone. I was always in control It was always somewhat predictable and I could always be satisfied. And that that was the positive of that's what social media gave you on the front end. That was, that was part of the allure. Right. Yes. And what platforms were you on at this I was on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest. Those were the main, the main ones. Maybe you can describe when you say the social aspects and never being alone, Mm -hmm. like what was that community? Like what, how, what did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
It was, you know, I always say that social media grants us three wishes. Mm -hmm. That is sort of the premise for developing this addiction, uh, this addictive nature toward it. And it's the fact that we're always heard, we're never alone, and we're always in control. Mm -hmm. And that third one brings the extra reward of always being stimulated. And so for me, it was some of the some of the things I had heard of the technology problem before. I had heard of the social media problem before. But you forget about it because technology has this way of enchanting you and casting spells on you because of the algorithm. And so it was I was so blinded by that that I had forgotten how to be in solitude. And when you forget how to be in solitude, when you forget how to be alone and content with yourself, you will only ever know how to be lonely. And And is that like you're posting and getting feedback or is it just also consuming and not feeling alone? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yes. I engage with social media in different ways. And so I was most of the time I was an observer, I would say. So I was just looking at the feed, just kind of going through it. And then I would engage and then I would give my own posts and all of those ways of engaging with it gave me the gratification that I wanted. And sometimes it didn't. Mm-hmm. But still, even though it didn't, I still developed the expectation in my mind that it would. And so I yeah. kept going back. And I don't mean to, I mean, I appreciate you sharing this because I think that there are a lot of adults out there who are supporting children and they don't know or understand how social media works and what what to talk to their kids about, you know, to help them understand or what to see or observe about when something seems like a problem. Because we understand addiction with alcohol and drugs and other things. And that seems to have been clear for people, I think. But the social media aspect is new, right? Like, I think a lot mm-hmm. of adults also don't even understand the internet, you know, <laughs> like, yes. what's how am I supposed to guide my child to have like safe online habits was something that we just did in our last podcast. So I really appreciate you giving the breath of just the way that it sounds like the way that you're on it. And it's not any one thing. It's the all consumingness of it. So you could be observing, you could be reading, you could be just like aligning with people, but then you're, you could be posting or commenting and all of that. Just, I think what I hear you say over and over again, and that's where I want to go next is that you got so accustomed to the stimuli and always having something that you forgot what it felt like to be comfortable being alone or being quiet. Correct. Yes. And I think a lot of people with addiction could probably relate to that, but let's, mm-hmm. so let's switch to when did you start realizing that it was a problem? What did that look like? So I realized that it was a problem when I mainly when I found that it was creating a barrier in my relationships And I would be at the dinner table and there was one particular situation that was pivotal in me, in myself and my self-awareness, understanding that I was addicted. And it was when I was in the middle of the cleanse and I was, I I believe that I was about a week into it. And um, so I didn't have social media at the time, but I was out 
to dinner with my family and my phone was face up on the table and I would just robotically tap it every now and then I would just tap it and subconsciously knowing that I wasn't going to be receiving any social media notifications, but I still had this automatic response. And my dad looked at me and said, Keegan, are you even aware that you are doing this? And I said, no. And so that was when I realized that even a silent phone, even the physical appearance of a device has the ability to deter your attention from human connection. And that was powerful. And so after I had that realization within myself, it was like my awareness transitioned outwardly and universally to other people my age, to adults who were on their phones in front of their children, you know, and it was heartbreaking. It really is gut-wrenching. Yeah. Um, but just like you were talking about with the parents, there is power in intergenerational force. And so that's why I see the beauty of working together and 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 combining all ages to yeah. to work on this problem. In addiction work, one of the things we talk about is setting a boundary or a limit as mm-hmm. a way to identify if you have a problem. And if you and if you talk to people about this boundary or this limit, say I'm not going to drink when I'm alone or I'm not going to drink more than two drinks in any sitting. And it feels like that's a reasonable thing to do. And you can't meet that goal that that's a good sign. And also a really helpful period for reflection about the way (laughs) our brains are like trained and seeking that reward system Mm -hmm. and that behavior that's kind of bound up in addiction. So for you, it wasn't necessarily cyberbullying. It was really the it sucked you into the universe. Yes. You know, and I realized when I was talking to my peers about this, there are really two different types of, of problems. There are several different problems, but there are two that are mainly the prominent problems with social media. And it's the comparison, comparing yourself to the likes of other people, the physical appearances of other people, the materials that other people have. And then there's the addiction part, the mm-hmm. overstimulation, the the feeling of constantly wanting to be socially gratified through the screen and not involving yourself in real in-person connection and forgetting the meaning of that. Yeah. When I was depressed, like in an mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. man, it was so much harder to even see the boundary for all addictions. But I I did even find myself at an older age, like fully fell into a TikTok trap. I, and I love it. I mean, in some yes. ways, I think TikTok for in some ways keeping me alive, like mm-hmm. gave me some joy and laughter when it when there was none, you know, like my brain mm-hmm. wasn't finding joy. In other yeah, things, yeah, you know? right. Yes. But then I don't know at what point was it was like, okay, I'm on TikTok for three or four hours a night. I'm not sleeping. I'm, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think you're right. Like, I recognize that mm-hmm. my children would basically make comments about how much I was on, or my husband would make comments. It was actually, my husband would say it first, you know, but then you're mm-hmm. like, you dismiss your partner. Yeah. No, you're, <laughs> you're right. No, I, 
I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of the things I think that people need to realize is that whenever we become addicted to social media, two of the most important things to understand is that boredom and anxiety are two determining factors for for becoming vulnerable to social media addiction because we think that because we're bored or because we're anxious, we can go to social media, it will make us content. But those two things are actually signs that something is wrong and that you need to dive deeper into that problem because if you are anxious, if you have anxiety and you're going to social media to relieve that, that is just a sense of escapism from your own thoughts and thought processes. So, but I understand how TikTok would be uh, a temporary remedy for that. (laughs) And and that may be key, right? Because I'm not going to say like all social media bad, just like we can't just say, well, all alcohol bad, never drink. That doesn't work right. for people. No, it's, it's really appropriate to help people understand how to think through these issues. Like, and now I know if I'm depressed, I have to be more rigid about setting limits with social media in the same way that I also have to be more rigid about setting limits about my drinking habits. Whereas when I'm not in an episode, I'm in less risk of like falling into that trap and and having something develop into a secondary problem. Yes, absolutely. And that's, I think that is my message as well. Social media is not entirely bad. I have social media. I use it. It's about seeing the flip side of that coin because yeah. it's it's like, it's like climate change. You know, we see so many sunny days. We see so many beautiful days. We forget that there's a problem happening. We see people having conversations, connecting in person. We forget that people are replacing connection for connection through a screen. So you talked about starting to set limits, um, but you had your mm-hmm. phone around. So you started by deleting all your social media, but you kept your phone. Did that did your journey change over time? Did you ever get rid of your phone? Like, tell me what, how did this? Look? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I never got rid of my phone, which was another challenge in and of itself. The fact that I had my phone with no social media. And so that was another uh, self realization that I had was my screen time decreased so much without, uh, even though I just had my phone. And so that's how I knew, wow, a lot of the time that I was spending on my phone was on social media and I could. And so then mainly I was just texting. I would just call. And so I wasn't even really using my phone. In addiction work, we talk a lot about like rebuilding relationships and what it feels Mm -hmm. like to break up with your addiction in that period where it feels really awkward Mm -hmm. to have new relationships sober. Yes. It was, it was very awkward. And an important part of, of my disconnect was I was only planning to go for one month. And at the end of the month, I was experiencing so many beautiful things that I decided to go for two months. And it was like that one month was really that window of time that I needed to understand that there's beauty in the physical world. And it's not just the online world. And I think, I, of course, I did have that period, that withdrawal period, where I would constantly be thinking and wishing and and hoping that something would be there, that someone would 
reach out to me or someone would, I, I, I felt like I needed that. And that you have to get through that window of time, that feeling of withdrawal and because you've been in it for so long and you have to learn to separate yourself from it. And that took you about a month? Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. And I and I had to find other sources of of stimuli, healthier stimuli to to find that dopamine increase and that serotonin and 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 the and find more natural reward systems. Tell me about that. What what were what did you end up landing on that felt better than social media? Mm-hmm. So I was, I'm still a runner. I run, I'm, I, it's something that keeps me sane. (laughs) Um, And so I spent a lot of time with more training. I changed my training regimen in a healthier way. I was eating better. I actually found that my times did improve uh, because of the mental space that I was in. And any athlete would know that the mental the mental game is incredibly important in, in any competition. And so I was doing that. I was also writing letters. I started writing letters what? and yes. And um, I actually wrote about this in one of my college supplemental essays on my application, but there's so much beauty in handwritten letter writing. And I feel like it's being lost. So there's so wow. much vulner- so much vulnerability so much connection that can be that can be brought from from just a handwritten letter and so i started doing that more and that was one of the ways that i showed an increase in in connecting with other people it's really interesting that in this conversation when you said that you went to letter writing my mm-hmm. i had a physiological and emotional mm-hmm. response to that really and one was dread almost <laughs> <laughs> Because I know you're right. Um, and but there and there's something about technology that's so efficient and fast, and the system, the way it's designed, rewards that efficiency, but it's losing what letter writing gives us as a gift that our brain needs. And it's Mm. tied probably to that boredom question that we bring up a lot in addiction that you're saying. And I could tell I'm like resistant to that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why am I so resistant to that idea of writing a letter? Like mm. it's slow. It's what boring. It's hard. It's too hard, mm. you know, mm-hmm. or what? And you're all, wow, yes. how quickly you've been trained and what we've lost because um, we don't know how to slow down anymore. Like, or what, what it means to take pride and enjoy um, being slow. Right. Yes, exactly. And that's another, I love that point because one of the things that social media doesn't give us is effort. It does not take any effort. We can filter, we can change, we can edit, we can edit our response before we send it. But when you're communicating in person, you are thinking, you are using your cognition, you are giving an emotional response, your body language, eye contact, all of these things that require hard work. And it's easier to do it through a screen, but we can't lose that art of the empathic skills that we need for development and connection. And that was one of the things that that handwritten letter writing does is it's hard. You don't want to do it. 
but it's so vulnerable and personable and it is entirely worth it. I believe. Do you think that having a healthier boundary and then engaging in some of the other better habits has also made you a better student and maybe a better future workforce person? Because there's a lot of discussion, right? About technology. And when you said when we're on social, everything is curated in these tiny nuggets in the same way that phone conversations, look at, I did phone. That's how old I am. Um, (laughs) Phone conversations are, are different from text messages. And then friendships on social media are different than friendships, right? Mm. So do you feel like you're better able to negotiate conflict, (laughs) enter the workforce? (laughs) Yes. And that's one of the things that's one of the things that I wrote about in my book is social media's effect on emotional intelligence. And so what we are finding is that the way we communicate online, this sometimes aggressive form of interacting, these short-tempered responses are being translated to our in-person communication. And you can see that, you know, Twitter, they used to have this, um, the text box that only that had a word limit to it. So you had to sink your thoughts into this, this tiny thing. And so now, it's being translated into our in-person interaction. We're seeing more aggression. We're seeing more lack of empathy. We're seeing more, you know, short response that may not be able to convey entirely what we're trying to say. And so now that I've separated myself from that, I do feel like I have more patience. I have a a bigger attention span. I can focus for longer periods of time. Mm. My mind is more creative. I can think without being bombarded by social media stimuli. And I, and I can listen to people and I can see people in a way that is not superficial, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I always love to summarize the gifts of recovery you know, because mm-hmm. I think that's what keeps us going to, it does. to have healthy boundaries, right? It's like yes. that the gifts I get from not being in this addiction are greater than the gifts that I get from the addiction itself. Yes. Um, let's transition towards the end where you give advice to people about mm. who might, if there's a kid out there who's like, I don't know if I do, how do I stop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I would one of the things that I would say is to understand the signs of addiction. That's the first step and to understand your own self. And so, like I said, it's different for different people. So you could have this problem with anticipation of anticipating a a technological response, whether that's a like or notification or something. And then you could either, you know, have tolerance developing or the sense of escapism, or staying online longer than you intended, or lying to conceal the extent of how much time you're actually spending, withdraw all of these things, which could be different, like I said, for for different people. And so it's really important to understand when you're online, maintaining this conscious awareness of what is happening and this sensory awareness of how social media is affecting you. Um, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the algorithm and 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 to focus on what you want to see. And so that's the first thing. The second thing I would suggest is to 
try really, really hard to just resist the temptation to grab your phone and practice the art of boredom and focus on self-realization and understanding what's going on, why you had that physical urge. And try to think about if you had done that, what types of comments or feelings from another person or yourself would you have missed? Mm. And so I think that that's really important. Those two things, the self-reflection and um, practicing boredom and resisting that physical urge. Then from there, there are different ways you can manage your screen time. You can set time limits. You can do what I call the out of sight, out of mind. There's There's another name for it, but it's just like when you go to the grocery store and you see that they put the most expensive item at eye level, it's because you're more eager, you're more likely to grab that item if it's easily more accessible to you. So it's just like with social media, when you go on your home screen, you see Snapchat right there. It's so easy to just tap it. So what you can do is you can actually put your apps in a hidden folder away from your home screen. So you actually have to do more work, go into the search bar, type it in. Um, and that takes more effort, which we don't like. <laughs> and yeah. so that's also really helpful. Um, there's also more things out these days, like the the lockbox that you can put your phone in. Um, but out of sight, out of mind is really important. If you're more likely to, if it's physically accessible to you, you're more likely to get it. And And there's there's other ways too. I find that time limits aren't as effective because it becomes just muscle memory to just extend them, but you really have to find what works for you. You could do a short cleanse where you just delete social media for a week and see how that works. Or you could do a longer cleanse like I did. I think you just, you have to be motivated and practice that conscious awareness when you are on the apps. I really appreciate that. There's so much parallel to other addictions that we have, you know, like having dry January um, mm-hmm. or just detoxing, just like knowing that if I could do this thing, it shows to me that I can have an appropriate relationship with this behavior, this addiction. If anything gives you information about how you can't as well. I know I've set limits for myself. I was like, I'm going to put my phone away when I get home. And then I didn't, you know, and you're mm-hmm. like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and just like, okay, that's a, the extent of my desire to engage in this behavior. So do I need more intervention? You know, like, do I need mm-hmm. to go to therapy or have an accountability buddy, somebody to help me set that limit or, or even just like, Oh, if I, I know myself. So if I set a limit to myself, but I don't tell anybody Mm -hmm. I am the worst. I'm (laughs) just, I'll just, I'll make an excuse. I have to tell somebody, you know, Uh like, Uh like, so that I, I feel shame. Maybe that's right. Shame that I'm, or maybe in hope even that my friend will ask me about Mm -hmm. my behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Accountable to not lying. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It takes vulnerability. Like you said, it takes the ability to step out of your comfort zone and fight the urge and, and develop self-control because it really is about self-control and self-awareness, but we cannot do this on our own. We cannot, my generation, we cannot, we need help. We need 
help from these tech companies. We need policies in place within the algorithms. And of course, that gets very intricate because, I mean, you have to, there's a lot of steps that go into that. But it's important to understand that these apps were designed to increase our engagement, to increase profit. And it's dangerous and it's scary. And then that being said, we must also not forget about the beautiful things about social media and the fact that it has saved lives and it's done incredible things in the world. So it's very much about balance and moderation and seeing the good and the bad and then finding a compromise between the two of those. I want to, I want to ask you about your final thought. And the only one I can think of too is I know that there have been times where it felt, I felt so out of control in my desire for technology. It wasn't just social media. It was being on my phone that Mm -hmm. I almost considered like in a moment realized that I, I did not have control over this. I was like, I need to go buy a not smartphone. (laughs) Like this is the next iteration of it. And, And to me, I don't know. That final thought is just about when you're in that process and you have awareness, there are a lot of different decisions that you can make. about social media and that's what might be really good but also tricky because Mm -hmm. unlike alcohol or substance it's like take it or not take it and then you have Mm -hmm. well how much do you take Mm. it's hard it was harder for me to unpack addiction to technology because was it social media what aspect was it was it the phone was it the habit of having it or tapping like you said right yes that behavior um, or sitting in a restaurant and not feeling like I could talk to the people who are at the table with me I needed to have a buffer between Mm -hmm. because like you said anxiety or whatever so it it is just interesting to me that in this way social media addiction is so versatile yeah 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 there are so many different factors that go into it there are so many different signs of social media addiction. And like you said, substance abuse, it's just, you're either addicted or you're not really, but with social media, there's, there's so many different directions that it, that it goes. And sometimes it can be difficult to identify those signs of addiction because they are so hidden because so many people are, it's kind of like we're all robots and we're all participating in the same activities. Last night I was at dinner and I saw all the tables around me had phones on the table and they would, children were using oh, their know. tablets as pacifiers. Yeah. And, and so that's why when we're thinking about signs of addiction and, and preventing social media addiction, parents really are the primary determinant as to how a child uses technology. And yes, and I, and I know that you have children and I know that from a parent's perspective, you are put in a very difficult position because you look at all the other kids in their class and they all have phones and social media. And you're like, I know the dangers of this, but I don't want my kid to feel like an outcast, you know? And so it's totally. it's a difficult predicament to be in. A hundred percent. I know you've been through it. You've been through it. Yeah. We were just talking about that in the last episode about like, um, I feel guilty for restricting YouTube for my children. And at some point they're going to have to traverse that 
Yeah, no, don't process, feel, you know, but don't feel guilty. There was a, a little girl in, in one of the presentations that I did at a middle school and she came up to me after and said, I am in eighth grade and I have a flip phone mm-hmm. and it is so hard because I feel like I can't engage in conversation with my peers because they're always on their phones and they're always talking about what is on their phones And I said, do not feel guilty and do not feel shame toward your parents because you are the one who is connecting with the real world. You are engaging with yourself and that is far more worth it than any like or comment or number could, could bring. And so I hope that, that she sees the the beauty in in her flip phone because I do I mean it's it's a hard situation to be in especially in middle school there's a lot of feelings there I really yeah. appreciate you ending with that story yeah <laughs> yeah so no it, it it's really wonderful how vulnerable children can become when they're put in a space where they feel heard yeah. and valued and there was another little boy who who came to me and said that he deleted social media because he was committing self-harm. He was having suicidal thoughts and he was in middle school and, and you could tell when he was talking, he was getting very anxious. His coloring changed. He was physically becoming nervous, but he was being courageous telling me this. And he felt like even though he was coming out of his skin, he felt like it was necessary to, to let me know that. And so it's really powerful, the power and the influence that youth voices can have when they're put in a space where they can feel safe to share that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what a wonderful way to end our conversation. I appreciate you so much, Keegan, and we're going to come back in our next session to continue this conversation as part of our series. So I'm going to close this out with keep on fighting in the open and we'll see everybody next time. Yes. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye.